0: I'm Al Philreiss, and this is Poem Talk at the Writer's House, where I have the pleasure of convening three friends in the world of contemporary poetry and poetics to collaborate on a close, but not too close, reading of a poem. We'll talk, maybe even disagree a bit, and perhaps open up the verse to a few new possibilities, and we hope gain for a poem that interests us, some new readers and listeners. And I say listeners because Poem Talk poems are available in recordings made by the poets themselves as part of our Penn Sound archive, writing.upenn.edu slash pensound. Today, I'm joined here in Philadelphia at the Kelly Writers House in our Arts Cafe by three friends, and also unusually for Poem Talk, a live audience of other friends whom I ask now to register their presence with applause or snaps or both. That was so mild, there it is. Yes, and Also, the three aforementioned poem talkers today are Joe Park, whose books include Cold War Friendships, Korea, Vietnam, and Asian-American Literature, published by Oxford in 2016, and Apparitions of Asia, Modernist Form, and Asian-American Poetics of 2008, who with Paul Stasi is co-editor of Ezra Pound in the present essays on Pound's contemporaneity, who is a much esteemed colleague here at Penn in English and is on the faculty steering committee of the Asian American Studies program and is a board member at a daycare center too. Just to add that we learned today. And Herman Beavers, poet, scholar, teacher who has been my colleague here since 1989. Herm, this is, we're both great. Yes, we're both great. Yeah. And is the best and most effective citizen of the university I know, among whose critical essays are those on August Wilson, Charles Johnson, Ralph Ellison, Toni Morrison. Whose new book, Changing the Order of Things, Geography and the Political Imaginary in the Novels of Toni Morrison, will be published in 2017. Congratulations! Whose remarkable poems truly must be heard at his pen sound page and can be read variously in Miles, The Langston Hughes Colloquy, Versadelphia, and elsewhere, and whose chapbook called Ob- Obsidian Blues is coming out from Agape Editions, and whose big heart survived the many collapses of his Cleveland-based American League baseball team. (laughs) Anne Gay, a poet, teacher, and supporter of orchards and gardens, among whose three books of poems is most recently, Catalog of Unabashed Gratitude, which won the National Book Critics Circle Award, which won it, it won it, and was, I'm so thrilled. I was an early reader of this book. and uh, was a finalist for the National Book Award, that other trivial award thing, and a nominee for an NAACP Image Award, among other honors. Who is a founding board member of the Bloomington, Indiana Community Orchard, a, a nonprofit free fruit for all food justice project. And I spent a lot of time this morning preparing to say. Free fruit, now like free fruit for All, Food Justice Project. Ross, thank you so much for coming to the Writer's House and yeah. to Philly. And it's great that you're here. Um, congrats on all the accolades for this amazing book, Catalog of Unabashed Gratitude. And um, at the very end, when we have our uh, gathering paradise, I'm going to gather a little paradise from this book, sure, so I got my copy. I'm really excited about it. Joe Park, it's great to see you
1: great to see you. Thank
0: you for joining us for this conversation. My pleasure. And Herm, always, always, always a pleasure. We're growing old together. Yes, we are. <laughs> well, Speak we're here. What's that? Speaking for yourself. Okay, I, I knew you <laughs> would say that. Well, the four of us are here today to talk about a poem by Patrick Rosal. It's called An Instance of an Island, and it has been collected into Rosal's most recent book of poems, Brooklyn Antediluvian, his fourth collection, which was published by Percy Books in the spring of 2016. Our recording of Rosal performing the poem comes from a Wexler studio reading done here at the Writer's House in March of 2016, just weeks before the book was published. So here now is Patrick Rosal performing An Instance of an Island. An Instance of an Island.
2: One way to erase an island is to invent a second island absolved of all the sounds the first one ever made we don't know who concocted this one where the trigger fish and clowns fade to inky neon dashes under a fisherman's skiff a few Plastic pontoons knock around makeshift slips. Dusk coaxes from the shore. The small, dull chime of a spoon against a pot and TV voices flash slow across a cliff. Two pink lovers in matching swimwear kiss their glasses at the edge of a blue pool built just low enough into the hill so the couple can gaze into the bay and think of infinity. Many, many years ago, a great emperor wiggled his finger and commanded his army to corral all the lepers in his domain, then pack them into a sailing ship to be delivered to the missions on this cluster a verdant volcanic rock. The emperor's orders to his captain were clear. If the monks refused the ship's freight, the skipper was to simply dump the whole sick cargo into the sea's deepest trenches. Other incurables followed in lots over time trickled in, hiding from nearby tribes or banished from other lands to live among these lush slopes of mahogany, papaya, and weeds. Two women, Philomena and Josepha, arrived within days of one another. By then, each had lost most their toes, though they had ten full fingers between them, each woman with one hand still intact. No one is sure how it began, but once a week the pair would knock on the door of the scowling Madre Clementina to borrow the hospital's only guitar, carved from jackfruit and cracked pretty bad along the back. To these women... No big deal. For Filomena, once transcribed the early moonlight serenades of the horny friars in the royal south for the brats of an Andalusian duke. Josefa was the daughter of a carpenter, a maker of tables to be exact. She learned to play a tremulous melodies on her mother's banduria at the age of three. The pair of outcasts would stifle laughs, thrilled to earn the crusty nuns grudging yes, then amble out to low tide and find a flat rock to share so they could prop the old guitar on both their laps. The one bad wrist of each woman unwrapped to their stumps, pulled for now behind their backs as they looked past the bay toward the violent waters that first carried them here and they jammed philomena (laughs) with the five deft hammers of her left and Josefa with her right thick-muscled both blue-veined and furious scrubbing from the single instrument all those wicked rhythms from Castile to nowhere on a fragile scrap of furniture that could barely hold its tune they sat shoulder to shoulder and thigh to thigh their good hands brushing from time to time what they couldn't remember they made up and everything They made up, disappeared past the lagoon and over the ocean, every note in every run, every lie and desire, every nick and crack in the jackfruit, the fat harmonics plucked from the old nun's grunt, six taut strands of gut whose cords skimmed the water like night locusts in bursts of low clouds and which bore everything in front of them and behind, the brine of the women's necks mixed with the salt of the lagoon the cliffs, the spoons The bright nimbus of the west Dipping like a noose The future of pontoons and fake tits The history of nifty crowns Pried loose of their jewels The jiggle of a little finger Gone still One way To erase an island Is to invent the waters That surround it You can name the waters Which will turn all the sounds the island makes into salt. It will teach you to listen to everything you love disappear. Or you can invent a song so big, it will hold the entire ocean. Josefa and Philomena rocked in the dark, hip to hip joined by that third body of wood, which made sure there was nothing left in the unbroken world to possibly
0: make them whole. Ross, once, once they jam, the two women start jamming, you can hear in the performance, the poet of this jam really get going. Yeah. Can we talk for a start of the, I don't know, 15 lines or 20 lines after that, that jam sonorously, metrically, there's all kinds of gutty guitar picking. Can maybe all of the four of us sort of throw out some instances where he's jamming? Ross, you wanna start?
3: Yeah, there's a kind of physicality that happens in the poem at that moment, which seems appropriate. Well, not only because it kind of mimics the, the sound of this, this instrument, making music, but it's also, there's something, I love that observation, that at this moment it sort of flies into a different kind of bodilyness, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. um, and maybe that racket or that creaking or that banging around is not only the bodies sort of banging together, but it's also sort of, it's very bodily, so it's very much like the, reminds us that we have bodies in this moment of a yeah. poem, that is yeah. so much about bodies, yeah. you know, yeah. present and disappearing. Yeah.
0: Joe, you want to add to that?
3: Yeah.
1: In that I mean, section? Yeah. It's such an amazing... Well, th- I noticed so much of the sound play, the vowel work mm. in the whole poem. And it's so like how nuns, grunting, strumming. So There's like a the, lot of
0: short vowels. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: A lot of short vowels. But I think the, before the jam starts, you know, then you mm-hmm. get the incredible mixture of the vowel play. Right. So I think so. Like the short and the consistency of the, the short vowels. But then with the, the emperor and stuff, you get that short I. You know, that yeah. the jiggle and finger and like fingers yeah. are so important because these are pieces that the body yeah. is missing. Yeah. You know, so you get this like incredible, um, I think, vowel play that's yeah. really exploding here. And we're
0: surely going to get where you started to hint, which is the frame of this thing. It begins and ends with the option of inventing a song so big yeah. uh, because otherwise it will teach you to listen to everything you love disappear. It's a, quite a disjunct statement. Yeah. But I want to accumulate some more of this. Uh, Rosalian jamming, (laughs) Uh Um, so Herm you want to add anything to that? Well the line that
4: um, that leaps out at me is what they couldn't remember they made up and everything Mm -hmm. they made up disappeared and that's a perfect description (coughs) of what jazz does
3: Mm
4: -hmm. right when 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 musicians jazz musicians improvise they improvise with the the thought that they're never going to do it the same way again Um, but, uh, if you do it on Tuesday, if you do it on Thursday, it has the same value and the same significance. Um, and so the work of reclaiming this island, uh, is, is thought work.
0: Mm. Okay. So let's go to invention because I think it's been raised. Mm -hmm. So it begins one way to erase an island is to invent a second island. It ends with one the same line second stanza from the end one way to erase an island is to invent and in the middle we get jamming and improvisation mm-hmm. so what is it i
3: mean one of the things that i'm i'm reading this poem
0: again thinking about is
3: that there is the there is the action of the two people who are you know you know without fingers there is the action of invention that a kind of deprivation, various kinds of deprivation mm. make possible. And I don't know exactly how it addresses that. You need this to idea. be,
0: you, are you saying you need to be broken and partial, fragmented in order to make this music? Well, I, I'm not saying that one needs to be, but I'm saying
3: that this is a particular
0: music, that
3: a particular beautiful music that is born of a kind of brokenness mm-hmm. and deprivation. Um, and one of the things that I think the invention at the beginning of the poem that the poem is a kind of critique of does is erase that powerful, sustaining song, which we come from, right? We all come from that song of invention and resilience and...
4: What's interesting is that um, Rosal juxtaposes the emperor's one finger with um, Josefa's and Philomena's uh, 10 fingers that they... Between them. Between them. Um, and so it it juxtaposes Really, the, the the power of somebody to barely move his body, to uh, that leads to the the transportation of a lot of bodies to another place. But it's also these ten fingers that have to collaborate to counter that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: and they sit, um, in low tide, facing the ocean together and do exactly what these, I assume, tourist types mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. beginning are doing. We haven't mm-hmm. mentioned mm-hmm. those. Right. There's, that's certainly the sinister side of invention, according mm-hmm. to this poet, right? right? Does anybody want to talk about the two pink lovers in matching swimwear? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a signal. Mm-hmm. Kiss their glasses, I assume they're toasting, mm-hmm. at the edge of a pool. And the pool is built like so many of these pools are, so that you get the max, right. like, there's the invention of swimming poolness, and then there's the yeah. natural ocean, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Mm-hmm. There's,
1: right? I mean, it's you know, this, this erasure in the beginning is a kind of, you know, this this place has been turned into a tourist destination, right? So it's become this kind of cheesy and even like, and obviously it's highly racialized with the pink lovers, you know, with the matching swimwear. So you, you get this kind of tourist destination. I mean, I really love this ending back to what you were saying, Ross, mm-hmm. is that I mean it's actually not it never suggests wholeness, mm-hmm. you know. And the beauty of listening to disappearance, and obviously these are bodies that are, are falling away, you know. So that's really beautiful. But also, sorry, but one, you know, the the jam in that middle, some of the lines that we we're pointing right out. I mean, middle. it's such a total history lesson, but also kind of this interest in kind of bearing that history lesson, but understanding disappearance too by mm-hmm, the end. Mm-hmm.
0: Total history lesson. We should probably. Pause and say something about this. So I'll start, and Joe, let's pick it up. So leper colony, Andalusian kings, you know, round them up and send them as far as the Philippines. So it seems. Do we have any evidence of either of those things? So Filomena was she used to work for a duke, uh, tutoring the bratty kids. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Josefa. Uh, her father is a carpenter. We presume the two of them came on boats near each other mm-hmm. all the way from Spain to the Philippines. Do we do we know this? Can we?
1: Yeah, all those wicked rhythms from Castile to nowhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do we have any
0: evidence? And Rosal in this book, there are other poems where he's there, right? And Ross, you, you, you wanted this poem in particular, which is really the big one mm-hmm. in the book, mm-hmm. and he's not apparently there, but can we, can we find some evidence that, that the poet is indicating a presence of any kind? It's very subtle.
1: Well, you know, the second person near the end, you know, you can name the waters. It will teach you to listen. And
0: I also think maybe, and they jammed, which is um, his well, language yes. and our language. And who's,
1: yes. who's
4: there to hear the small del chime of a spoon against the pot? Somebody has to be mm-hmm. there. To hear it. So yeah. um, it's a small detail, but it's not something that you can conjure up from the imagination.
0: Yeah. So, what is this poet's, this speaker's relationship to this story, this tale, this legend?
4: Well, if, if any time you travel to some place like the Caribbean, you're implicated in the um, colonial project that has led to uh, this becoming a leisure travel space, um, and so that, that word in the second line, absolved mm-hmm. of all the sounds, is really important because part of what happens is that um, you erase from history all of the atrocities that led to the island being overwhelmed by this, this foreign culture that, that, mm-hmm. that makes it its own. Um, to go to the brokenness, because um, I was thinking about that this afternoon, the brokenness is the capital that you have to have in order to reclaim the island.
0: Can you explain that further?
4: So, so the, the, the thing is, the reason why um, that line, what they couldn't remember they made up, the reason why I thought about that is that in many ways, the music that Philomena and Josefa are making is really like jazz in that jazz is a product of the brokenness that comes out of US antebellum slavery. Um, that leads to the blues, that leads to, that's the sort of foundational element, the capital, if you will, of what we come to know as, as jazz. So,
0: so I'm really interested in how you think this poet, in the middle of this book, is is saying something about his relationship to this kind of music.
3: Ross? Well, I mean, one of the things that I think is really important is that, it, like, in my reading of this poem, at no point do I ever think that this is a true story, quote, unquote, Right. true story, you know? right. So he's like also inventing this story about these two people right. in the midst of... what well, you can't remember, you make up, right? Exactly, yeah. So what is he striving for in creating this legend? He's trying to sort of counter or make another kind of invention that counters the first, inven- well, the first invention in this poem. Right. So he's trying to invent, like de-invent, you know, bring the old it. island back in uh-huh. some way. But he knows that that's a process of invention because... The first one is about disappearance.
0: Looking for a model of counter invention doesn't find it. In fact, historical fact creates it. Mm-hmm. So it's the counter invention that you have to k- create the ancestral origins of your own art. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, Joe, mm-hmm. but it's also obviously important not to say that that's complete. And so the poem obviously concludes that nothing could make them whole. So it's so like it's so important that. This new invention—how incomplete that invention is—and that's, in fact, the source of the invention. I think, right? Mm-hmm. But it's, I, 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 you know, the way that I read that, um,
4: you know, my my in my first reading of the poem, I thought, wow, this ends with a tremendous sadness. But now I think um, it's the wholeness that's the myth, right? Right. right. And and so the, the the how I see the women in the poem is that they recognize that um, the idea of becoming whole is, a, is just, a, is just a, an illusion and a delusion.
3: And it's not, it's also, it's really important that they're holding a body. Right. Mm-hmm. They're holding third a body. body of wood. Yeah, and in order for them to hold that third body of wood, they have to be close enough that, like I thought as I was thinking about this thing, like it would be fun if we were to bring in a guitar and have people like right. play the guitar together. Like you can be sure that not only So you have to sit together to play the guitar close, but you'd also have to do some pretty neat acrobatics to hold the thing, like one person plucking it and the other, like, because it would want to squirm away. Right.
0: So they're not just inventing music. They're inventing a way of making music. Yeah. This is the sort of invented mythic ancestral story of broken musicality, which cannot be made whole. Once the improvisation, Herman, that you were uh, correctly creating an analogy to, of, you know, jazz improvisation. Once that happens, you can't claim that the separate bodies that make it can, uh, can disunify and take the music away from the jam session and have it. In fact, it has to be a third body of wood that gets created.
2: Two women, Filomena and Josefa, arrived within days of one another. By then, each had lost most their toes, though they had ten full fingers between them, each woman with one hand still intact. No one is sure how it began, but once a week the pair would knock on the door of the scowling Madre Clementina to borrow the hospital's only guitar carved from jackfruit and cracked pretty bad along the back
0: to these women no big deal so i don't ever do this in poem talk but i'm just excited about this can we say can we go around and say the big thing that this poem is about For ross you want to take a shot what's it, the big thing it's about
3: yeah it's a little i'm saying the same thing a little bit again but it's again it's how out of a kind of brokenness comes music one, that's part of it, and or song, you know, and it's not just a particular song; it's song, um, art creation, that which sustains us, etc. But two, it's that the in order to make that song, you have to be close enough and willing enough to hold each other awkwardly in order for that song to happen, you know. And that that in the instance of this poem comes out of a certain kind of profound deprivation you know, and violence.
0: That's cool. I, well, I don't know if the three of us can do any better than that. That's so good, Ross. (laughs) Thank you. Joe, take a stab. What would you say is the big thing?
1: Well, this is such a sweet poem. I'm so, I don't, I, I just have a, I guess I have a more of a question, that penultimate line, nothing left in the unbroken world. I mean, is there really an unbroken world? You know, so there's a kind of Sweetness and fullness of possibility here, Of course, you know, they're not. they don't want to be made whole. But I almost see I, I, I'm maybe I'm going too far, but I almost see a kind of unbrokenness in this poem, which I think is distinctive in the collection hmm. and even of how I kind of think about, you know, modern poetics or something like that. So there is a kind of I think this poem, in a funny way, is about wholeness at the same time that. You know, and and it's about finding that kind of magical third, which is cracked jackfruit, et cetera, but it achieves that wholeness um, through um, invention, you know, the the purity and beauty of invention in a way.
0: So it turns out to be a celebration of exile, deprivation, and makeshift musicality, Mm -hmm. which are terrible conditions to have to endure, and yet... Um, as with jazz that arises out of, you know, out of New Orleans, uh, one wants to say, in order to have done this, you have to have suffered. You have to suffer in order to sing the blues. That's a very risky thing to be saying. And I want to say, too, though, that I'm, like, in no way am
3: I saying that the poem is even advocating, Like, it's saying that one has to suffer in order to... What I'm saying is that it's more about there's pain, There's Profound Pain, and this is one of the songs that got made in the midst of that.
0: Yes. Yeah. So I think, I agree with you, and I think that the key word there toward the end is the or that follows the ellipsis, because it's that alternative. Uh, It will teach you to listen to everything you love disappear, or, Mm -hmm. or if you've listened hard to this invented legend... You can invent a song, which is really a kind of bold thing for a non-metapoetic poem to say suddenly about itself. Or you can invent a song so big that it will basically counter-hegemonize all the finger-wagging emperors who set you adrift and made sure you would never make art again. Or you can invent a song so big it will hold the entire ocean as the two women sit there looking looking out toward the ocean, actually looking back in the direction of Spain, if you think of it Mm -hmm. that way. Uh, So, you know, imperialistic invention gets turned around and made a a musical poetic invention, the music and the song and the poem itself, which in turn holds it in and and subsumes the whole concocted ocean that is set up and named to keep you from actually understanding the island where you're at.
4: You must have been reading my mind, Al.
0: Well, maybe maybe I read your notes.
4: There's a a couple things. One... um, what is really impressive about this poem is that it really does try to think through um, the whole of uh, man's inhumanity to, to man. And I say that because uh, on my first page, um, the skipper was to simply dump the whole sick cargo far from any shore. That is exactly how the uh, Atlantic slave trade worked. So, so these lepers could also be Africans. Um, it could be any any sort of other, right? And, and and so part of what that word infinity says, right, is is that uh, if you have value of a human being, you get to project yourself into a, a, an endless future. Whereas these these sort of dehumanized others can be dumped anywhere as as trash. This is also a critique of the idea of the individual artist, because mm-hmm. Josefa yeah. and, and Philomena that's have right. to collaborate to produce this music, and that's exactly what jazz is.
0: And that aesthetic is the opposite of the emperor's ability to say, that island there, we name that there, we surround it with that ocean, and I do denotation. Well, Patrick Rossell is saying denotation hasn't gotten us anywhere here. You cannot understand the diasporic uh, uh, art or song if you simply go with old denotations. So even though the poem is very descriptive and narrative, in the end, it's talking about something that will hold the, the whole world, as you say. Okay, this is great. We could go on forever. Why don't we just go around once quickly and point out one little thing that you had came here intending to say and haven't had a chance to about this particular poem, its language, its imagery, its strategy,
4: uh, the bright nemesis of the West, mm-hmm. dipping like a noose. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 was glad, I, I sort of highlighted that And when you said they're looking West. Um, it is a kind of metapo- metapoetic move because this is also a poem that attempts to, um, in an interesting way, recover the idea of universality. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about the new critics, they tried to impose this, this very narrow idea of universality. This poem actually tries to make claims for that there is, an, uh, a, there is a way to produce a form of universality that does not dehumanize or otherize mm-hmm. folks. And the, the noose of the West is, is the, the myth that you can do that in a way that excludes people.
0: Wow, you did the most amazing thing there. You started with a line a phrase and then you went big and it was perfect. Thank you, Herm. Joe, one last thought?
1: Yeah, I love this point about universality. Just the title, the instance, you know, that through this, I mean, that's the key, I think, to the poem in many ways, Mm -hmm. that it's teaching us how to read it. And I agree with Herman about kind of the universality is also connected to a real applicability for this poem because Mm -hmm. it's so active. It can be applied to multiple scenarios. And for me, I mean, this is a poem, you know, you've cited you know, about suffering. They were never wrong. You know, it's like, right. I, this is a poem about suffering, you know, and that, that kind of this instance of incredible suffering, like a, a, a kind of biblical order, right? Mm-hmm. But then to jam through it. Mm-hmm. Amazing.
3: Yeah, me cool. too. And that's sort of where I'm, I just lock on that end that they rock in the dark, hip to hip, in that third body, um, joined by that third body. That um, just sort of amazes me. That, that that's the way that song gets made, hip to hip, holding mm-hmm. another body. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, my final thought has to do with the, the pink lovers. Um, you know, it's not a passage I really enjoyed the first time I read it. I thought, oh, this is, these are easy targets. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Though I, I was already warned that the poem was going to go legendary, so I knew that I would, you know, there would have to be some caricatures in there. But, but the end of that passage uh, got completely recovered for me uh, as the couple gaze into the sea and think of infinity, uh, you get an internal rhyme there or an end-stop mm-hmm. rhyme, and then you, the, the, the end of this little passage rhymes it. But infin- gazing to the sea, which is sort of a classic poetic thing, what you get there is the, the looking past the artifice or invention of the pool, the so-called invention of the pool, of the tourist's pool. Um, you don't really get to earn, to say the least, gazing into infinity, that ocean view that the two women, they wait for low tide and they, they really work at it. And these, these people didn't work at all to get that. Somebody else sort of picked it up. Well, we like to end poem talk with a minute or two of Gathering Paradise, which is a chance for several of us or all of us if you're quick. To spread wide our narrow Dickinsonian hands, I have Dickinsonian hands to gather a little something really poetically good. I actually don't, but I just threw that in. To hail or commend someone or something going on in the poetry world, Joe, what do you want? What's your paradise
1: today? Okay, I'm gonna go backwards in time, and I'll just recommend Carlos Bulosan. He's a great Filipino poet, and you and have written about him a little bit, yeah. yeah. But I was think- thinking about. You know, he's someone who writes about the wide American earth, the whole world. If you want to know who we are, you know, that sense, that kind of rousing we of Bulosan, I think would be a beautiful echo for this.
0: Yeah. Great. Thank you. Herm, gather some paradise.
1: Um,
4: well, we, you mentioned my chapbook. Um, it's a pleasure to Pete for it to be coming out at a time when there's so much great stuff going on. And American poetry. My friend at the end of the table here, not being a prime example of that. Um, and you know, we we've been talking about a poem that's really about a conversation. This is a great time for a poetic yeah. conversation.
0: Well, congratulations. Um, let's say again. The title of the book is Obsidian Blues, and it's coming out from Agape Editions. So, yeah, fantastic. Uh, Ross, I'm reading a book um,
3: called Equilibrium by Tiana Clark a uh, young writer. It's a chapbook. Um, Bull City Press did it, and it's lovely. It's really amazing. Family poems and um, just really um, astonishing music, beautiful images, sort of a brilliant... Can you uh, say the name again? It's the called book? The book is called Equilibrium, and the author is Tiana Clark.
0: Fantastic. Yeah. In my gathering paradise. My paradise is is Ross Gay, our special visitor today. Um, the book is catalog of unabashed gratitude, and I love the title poem a lot. But I also like a poem that's an ode to the mistake. It's called "To the Mistake," but I take it I take it that you're it's an ode. And I want to read a few lines from it. But the the sense I get from it is. Um, An attempt to try to teach your students that it's okay to make a mistake. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you're not making a mistake, you're making a mistake. Then the poem connects that to the poem Mm -hmm. itself and to the writing of poems. Mm -hmm. And then it connects it to uh, memory, I believe, of, uh, I think, a athletic team and some kind of mistaken situation.
3: Yeah, the speaker took acid before going to a reunion for... A reunion, before, high yeah,
0: like reunion. a high school reunion. Yeah, like a high school reunion. Yeah, that was a mistake. Yeah, that was a big mistake. Uh, that that, 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 that not, the speaker made. If you're not making a mistake, yeah, only the speaker. If you're not making a mistake, you're making a mistake. So here's here's a passage from this wonderful poem. It's really about, it's what I not just a meta poetic poem, Ross, but it's a meta-pedagogical poem. It's really about what we, how we're trying to teach our students to see if they can invent, and after today's talk, maybe invent is the wrong word, to see if they can be okay with going off in the wrong direction. And today I am lecturing on the miracle of the mistake in a poem, that hiccup or weird gift that spirals or jettisons what's dull and landlocked into as yet traversed, i.e. cosmic, I overuse this metaphor with my students, grounds. I tell this to 105 give or take undergrads who mostly don't care and wrestle second to second The, by now, blood-borne drive to check their beckoning phones, which mostly bless them, they don't. The mistake, I say, is a gift. Don't be afraid. See what it teaches you about what the poem can be. I know of what I speak. And the I know of what I speak launches you into that memory of... Yeah, thank you. Fantastic. Well, that's all the naming of waters that will turn all the sounds into salt we have time for on Poem Talk today. Poem Talk at the Writers' House is a collaboration of the Center for Programs in Contemporary Writing and the Kelly Writers' House at the University of Pennsylvania and the Poetry Foundation, poetryfoundation.org. Thanks so much to my guests, Herman Beavers, Joe Park, and Ross Gay, and to Poem Talk's directors and engineers today, Chris Martin, Chris Martin, and Zach Cardner, and Mary O'Shalana, and to Poem Talk's editor, the self-same, amazing Zach Cardner. Next time on Poem Talk, I'll be joined by Jed Rasula, uh, Brian Teer, and Kristen Prevalet to talk about Robin Blazer's amazing poem, A Bird in the House. This is Al Filris, and I hope you'll join us for that or another episode of Poem Talk.